Welcome to Things to Think About. I'm Luca, and each episode, Scott Commoners, Professor of Market Design at Harvard University, and I sit down and talk about different topics in Web3. Today, we're joined by a very special guest, none other than Robbie Broom, also known as T-Shirt Bob. Today, we're going to be talking about CC0 and more broadly, the impact of IP law and ownership on creative activity. But before we do that, a quick disclosure. Scott Commoners serves as an expert on NFT-related matters, including questions related to intellectual property strategy. I hope you enjoy this interview, but more importantly, I hope you learn something. Morning, Scott. You ready to talk about some crypto? You know it. And uh, a special morning to someone else here, T-shirt Bob, Robbie. <laughs> Are you excited to talk about some crypto as well? Um, indeed. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on and joining us today. We're really excited to get your perspective. Um, our broader discussion today is going to be about CC0 um, and more broadly about art and kind of artistic rights and licenses. But before we dive into that, could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Who are you? Uh, so my name's Robbie Broom. If you're in the Thingdoms Discord, you'll know me as T-Shirt Bob. Um, I did a podcast with with Luca about probably, is it six months now? Five months? And yeah, something there. Back then, I didn't have any NFTs, and now I have quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> You've gone from zero to total degen. Yeah, nah, nah. I'm, all my eggs are in the Thingdoms basket. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm putting together my own project as well. It's called A Commonplace. Um, it's a fine art generative project um, combining handmade elements with computer generation. Wait, wait, you gotta Very tell us a little cool. bit more about that. Like, so, so how's the how's the generation work? What's the structure of a commonplace? So, basically, the idea came to me when I was in uh, when I was in LA with with Thingdoms. Um, I was quite fascinated by the way that these people were putting profile picture projects together, but. I didn't think it was very me to make a profile picture project. So I kind of conceptualized the idea for ages and ages. And I thought, I'm kind of not ready to give up on making art entirely by hand. So I kind of found a middle ground where I made 2000 assets by hand and then digitized them and assigned them all to random corners of a sorry, to random quadrants of a three by three grid. And then the generation is what brings them together into one collage. That's very, very cool. Yeah, they look really cool. If you haven't seen the pictures, we'll like find a way to send them in the chat or you should Google them. They're just incredible. But one of the things that I found really, really interesting as well was the tie into music um, and, and just how you're utilizing color palettes. I know we are kind of going down a tangent away from CC0, but could you talk to us a little bit about that and what that kind of means in the context of the project and how you're using albums and color palettes? Yeah, so there's there's actually quite a few parallels to music, but basically I, I find music quite like a 
I I would probably take as much inspiration from music as I do from from other forms of art. So like if I'm looking at say listening to a record, the first thing that draws me into the record is the album cover. So with the perfect palettes, what I did was I took uh, nine albums that I find or I found particularly formative for myself, whether it be as a musician or an artist. And I've basically just directly eye dropped colours from those from those records. Um, and those have became what are called the perfect palettes. So for each each track that's on said album, there is a token. So some albums, one of the albums is the Far Sides Lab Cabin California. That's got 15 tracks, so there's 15 tokens of it. All in that colorway, and they're all different. I am just so unbelievably excited to like get the full collection and be able to just go through it and look at them all, because I feel like there's just so many different elements to it. Um, I'm incredibly excited. But I do want to toss it over to Scott. I know you've written a lot about CC0. You've thought a lot about it, I'm sure. Give us like a very broad definition or overview of what it means. So it comes up in a tweet. You see an NFT or an art piece labeled with it. What does that like really actually mean? Cool. All right. So first of all, I should clarify that I am not a lawyer. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm not giving a formal, um, you know, definition from the perspective of intellectual property law. Um, but you know, we really walked ourselves right into that. I, I know it, 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 it was just the perfect setup. It's also true, right? I am not qualified to give a formal description from the perspective of intellectual property law. Um, but yeah, uh, what CC0 means, it, it's a reference to the adoption of the Creative Commons Zero license, which is essentially a, a no rights reserved license uh, with regards to, to copyright. And uh, in practice, what it means to go CC0 is that you are, you know, sort of giving a public license to others to use your, you know, to use your creation, you know, in, in the context of NFTs, it's typically the, the visual assets. Um, to create whatever sorts of derivative works people want. Um, and, and that can be for, for private use, for individual use, um, or for public and commercial use. Um, and so you're, you're giving sort of a, a public open license to anyone who wants to use it uh, for whatever purpose they want, um, which is very different from the way a lot of other sorts of intellectual property models work, right? You know, so the traditional model is the intellectual property is, is just owned by the individual brand. Um, we've seen lots of different innovations in intellectual property formats in NFT space. Um, one that another one that a lot of people know about is the the model the Board API Club chose, where um, you know the the brand maintains sort of all of the assets, but individual holders can use the assets they hold, um, you know, for potentially for commercial purposes. Um, CC0 goes even further by giving sort of like an open license to everyone. So it sounds like CC0 um, on its surface essentially allows me to enable anyone to use what I've put into the space um, and build on it and grow on it. To take a step back, the CC portion of CC0, what is Creative Commons? Is that important? The way I've come to think of it is it's a way to reduce kind of the the overhead and the thought that has to go into managing rights and legal structures by essentially putting templates or, or recipes 
for IP rights and, and laws. That's um, that's just exactly out in the, the way public. To think of it. Is that essentially? It, it's it's a standard yeah. setting organization. Um, again, there's there's a tech, there's a technical like definition of a standard setting organization. I'm using the term colloquially here. It's a standard setting organization that issues a variety of sort of template intellectual property licenses with different levels of sort of public um, you know access and use rights, um, and. You know, just like, you know, you can think of it as like, just like the ERC templates, right? Like, just like it's useful to have standardized formats for tokens, um, it's useful to have standardized formats for intellectual property rights that can sort of be flexibly, you know, used across different applications and people sort of always understand what they mean. They don't have to go learn like a new specific licensing framework to understand how to use CC0 because it's, it's just standardized. That makes a ton of sense. To me, it feels like the idea of giving people access to uh, creative property and images and all sorts of things that people could have had intellectual claims to in the past and giving them the right to use it um, and build on it starts to create uh, a process of development and just kind of building around that IP that wouldn't be possible otherwise. Um, Robbie, I know that your collection is going to be going CC0. Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you originally found out about CC0, but then also why? Why go in that direction? What makes it interesting to you as an artist? So my first kind of run-in with CC0 was actually probably five or six years ago now. It was when I was at university in my first year, and we were given tasks to do but we were explicitly not allowed to use it was basically they were trying to instill licensing and intellectual property on us through doing doing some work so they were like you need to do this work but you can't use anything off google or anything like that and i was like well i'm not going to go out and take photographs of everything that i need to so i found creative commons um there's loads of like the Creative Commons website themselves have like a kind of archival, um, not an archival, they have an archive is what I meant to say. Um, and then you can go through websites like Flickr, um, National Museum and stuff like that. And it's not just photographs, so it, it can sometimes be scans of, um, scans of magazines and books and things like that. So you can get all sorts of like, unusual things that you would never find if you were actually looking for it. It's like you stumble across all sorts of things that are really good to have within work that you wouldn't have realised before. So when I found it, it just became like a natural place that I started going to when I was making work. That makes a lot of sense. And so you were able to pull from this library and essentially build on on the canon that already existed within that that cc0 yeah but the the only so the only kind of issue with it is there isn't masses of stuff that's cc0 not everything that people make will will go cc0 so quite what you find quite a lot of the time is you're looking at public domain stuff so stuff that's actually fallen out of copyright um and it can be a bit old but you can use that to your kind of you can use that to your advantage yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I think we should probably take a step back and answer a question that we probably should have answered earlier. Um, and I'd love to get both of your perspectives on it. But maybe Scott, starting with you, 
at a foundational level, what's the importance of intellectual property? Because I will come out and say that I'm a pretty strong, radical believer that like intellectual property, at least in the creative sense, probably shouldn't exist or at least should have it's it's strength pulled back a significant. Oh, amount. let me let me try. But and I know that that's you not otherwise. a popular. Let, thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, intellectual property um, is all about incentives, like so many other forms of property are, uh, and you know, just like we think that you know, I guess it's, it's incentives and and markets, right? It's the, it's the two cores of um, you know of, of market design. Um, so first of all, just like with NFTs for digital art, if you can't define a property right in something, you also can't have a market in it, right? And so one role of intellectual property is simply like to define a form of ownership, you know, who owns these brand logos, who owns, you know, in the context of patents, right, who owns an invention so that people can trade it or, or you know, engage in licensing around it. Unless you have that like definition, you don't have ownership. Um, on top of that, it serves a role of you know, producing incentives to create, right? And this is really easy to think about in the context of, of patents, you know, say for some invention or, you know, that requires a lot of research and development to create. Um, if once you invent the asset or the, the invention, rather, anybody who wants can just go and like produce your product, you don't get to internalize any of the benefits from discovery, right? You know, like a, you know, a pharmaceutical is, is in some level a public good, um, but they're very, very expensive to invent. And so, you know, and, and pass through trials and sort of get approved, all of that stuff. And so, you know, we typically introduce intellectual property as a way of sort of preserving people's incentives to engage in that sort of creative and inventive activity. Um, so it's not, so, so let me try and convince you that like the stuff has value, but there are still lots of different business models you can build around intellectual property, right? Like not all intellectual property business models are built around having locked down IP that only you as the creator own. Some of them are, right? And, and, you know, you think about major brands where one of their biggest assets, if not their, their unique biggest asset is, is their brand IP, right? The, the brand that they have built up. And if other people just get to say, oh, you know, we're part of the brand too, um, you know, that, you know, detracts from the, the brand value. Um, but it's, it's, it's not, it's not uniform. Sorry, go ahead. I see your, uh... that's, that's a very, very nuanced perspective. And I think one thing in particular that you said, um, that connected dots, I would say, is this idea that assigning intellectual property rights, and this wasn't the exact phrasing you used, but it's the dots that connected in my head. Assigning intellectual property rights is very similar to assigning traditional property rights in the sense that it, it kind of gives you a structure through which that like asset can be capitalized and used in different ways. Um, and so if you don't have that intellectual property system, you kind of just have this creative output floating out into the ether with no real person responsible for it or able to utilize it um, within the market or, or just more broadly. Um, so yeah, that, that is a very nuanced perspective more than, than mine. Um, from your perspective, Robbie, I'd, I'd like to hear your view on ownership and, and credit and rights. How does that outside of the market and outside of the financial side of it from the actual art perspective, what does credit and ownership and IP rights mean to you? So, I mean, if I, if I have to go like, straight off the bat, I don't 
I'm not against intellectual property. I think it it serves a purpose for certain things. You know, massive artists that have had massive careers, like take Andy Warhol, for example. Obviously, he, he's passed on now, but his estate handle his intellectual property. If they just gave that up, it would be everywhere and it would dilute it would dilute his brand just because he was such a like a formative figure. So I think there's like there's circumstances where it is appropriate to have it, but I think for for me as an artist, what I wanted to do with CCO was I wanted to because I'd built on CCO be- before, I wanted to then give that back because what I found personally was there wasn't a lot of kind of contemporary stuff, and I was like. Well, I'll just make it, and that's that's what I decided to do. Um, hmm. I I don't think I think it's it's a case by case basis. I don't think everyone should should be CCO. I don't think everyone should be really tight on their IP. It just it's it, it really depends. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. Yeah. Maybe let me let me jump in and riff off of that. Um, you know, I was trying to say there are various business models around intellectual property, and like one of them is the like you know so the brand model where you build a, a very carefully constructed and controlled brand, um, you know, and 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 you know police very heavily against potential dilution. Another one is this model that we're starting to see emerge around CC zero NFTs, where the proliferation of derivatives sort of like embeds the original in the in the consciousness of, of NFT space in a way that that builds and elevates it um, and, and sort of, you know, builds a brand through the proliferation of the ideas and images and concepts in the original collection. And that can be a business model as well, right? Like, you know, that's loot, that's Blitmap, that's a bunch of these projects, um, you know, that Flashrect and I wrote about in our, our CC0 article where you know, they've established building blocks that lots of other projects have built on top of in a way that drives even more brand attention back to the original. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I was going to go with it is, um, Robbie, you have like a very personal reason to go back to CC0 and contribute to it. Um, One like very tied to the art you've previously created and and your journey of learning about art and, and growing in that space. For a lot of these projects, it seems to be more tactical or more strategic. Um, yeah. And towards the ends that that you were talking about, Scott, to play devil's advocate a little bit, one of the the criticisms I've heard of this like CCO or CC zero, sorry, uh, push within like the profile picture world is that no one wants to use your image to make derivatives. So like, yes, you've been given the CC zero right within like some theoretical boundary. It allows other people to strengthen that brand by creating. Um, but that like at a real level, no one actually wants to do that with your asset. Um, I don't personally believe that, but I think that that's an argument that a lot of people are making. Do either of you kind of have a perspective on that? I think if you your sole purpose is to go CCO to encourage derivatives, you're almost doing it for the the wrong reason. If you want it, if you're doing it specifically to drive stuff back to your to dr- sorry to drive traffic back to your project, I would personally have invested the time 
to make my project better in, in that case like cco for me isn't about that it's about the actual sharing of the work so as much as i'd love people to make derivatives that's not my intention i'm not trying to drive um other people back to the project because they want the original one with the original assets i'm doing it because i want i want to share this work and i'm quite like a big believer in public art and things like that and it was a way to make like almost digital public art that's what it was for me but i can see why that that kind of model works like it, it did insanely well for goblin town um it didn't really go down that great with moonbirds recently but we've not kind of had enough time to see how that's developed but i think it's like different again it's different for profile picture projects and then like actual art projects it's it's hard to define between the two of them mm -hmm. yeah and then i think at, a, at an even more like primitive level you run into the the just like legal grayness that exists even independent of of like the there's the ip laws and then there's like the the crypto legal gray zone right and so when yeah. they come together yeah um but yeah that that's really really fascinating to zoom out a little bit because you've used cc0 for a while you've kind of gone through the archives you've seen how it's been used how do you see this evolving like now we have you were saying there's not a lot of stuff in the archive not a lot of people publishing to cc0 within the context of the broader art world now it seems like there's a ton of contemporary stuff flowing into it both like contemporary fine art like like you're doing profile pictures like we're seeing more like character brand based stuff how does this kind of change how artists and, and students use cc0 and look at it i think i th i think we're going to hopefully see like a kind of influx of more contemporary work that people can can utilize um to be in it's hard to say because I know a lot of artists are really protective of their IP, but I personally, what I'd quite like to see is people just putting some work into the public domain for people to build on. Because I think it's it's its own form of inspiration. But if you can directly use that inspiration rather than um, just going going onto Google and finding a basket and just trying to copy it, change it a little bit, it's almost like more authentic using the actual asset that's then been put into cco mm -hmm. yeah yeah i totally agree um scott did you have a a view on how this cultural shift kind of changes how everyone views cc0 and views ip rights in general yeah it's a great question i think you know we're seeing something very special in the world of crypto uh, in large part because crypto is inherently composable Right? There's this idea that you're, you're always putting together many different building blocks and, and typically also doing so in a, in a very public and um, you know, publicly accessible way. So I think we're seeing a real you know, revolution in people experimenting with you know, composability of, of digital assets and that includes you know, sort of, of, of you know, the digital artworks um, you know, and, and, and music. You know, we, we've been talking mostly in the, in the scope of, of art, um, but there are lots of other sort of you know various 
crypto assets uh, that uh, that people are recombining. And it's hard to know what that's going to drive outside of the crypto space, but I'm at least hopeful that, it, that some of this stuff will cross over and will drive like more sort of like public creation. Um, and then there's there's a reasonable chance of that. I mean, like if you think about some of the very very big um, CC zero projects like Nouns, um, you know they've started. You know, one of the derivatives that started appearing is physical Nouns glasses. Uh, similarly, um, you know the the um, the blit cap from the Chainrunners collection. So so in in, in our article Flash Reacted, I have this like nice uh, tableau. Um, you know, the, the Blit cap is a reference to, you know, it's sort of the logo from, uh, from the Blit map collection. And then some people said, oh, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I like these hats. And they started producing the hats. Um, and so if we start seeing these sort of like, you know, cross combinations, you know, crossing over into public products, you know, and, and, and eventually into fashion and so forth, you could imagine that other brands are going to start thinking, huh, wonder if we should like do this. And, and similarly, you know, that, that, you know, more in, in the, in the sort of classical art world will start thinking like, interesting, like there is this public, you know, sort of like this, this external, you know, public externality that comes from like making our art publicly accessible and exchangeable. Yeah. I, um, <clears throat> I think that is the right path. Um, and, this may be a little macro, it may be a little bit of a long thought, but I think that generally what we're starting to see happen with IP laws is it's becoming more and more like open source code and the the artist kind of collective is starting to pick up a little bit of that hacker ethos that like early CS had. Um, and even nowadays, I mean, open source still exists, like that hacker ethos still exists. But what I think is really interesting is that Historically, with IP laws, it's almost been like artists create their work and then they kind of control it and they can grow it. Um, but that's the the limitation of it. Similar to how open source code kind of enables the field to progress a lot faster, I feel like there's an opportunity for that to happen with art. I think CC zero is the way to like really or spur innovation and growth. It's almost this idea of like is art discovered or created, and if it's discovered, if people have more access to more assets um, under less stringent IP laws there's more opportunity for creation and growth. And I think that's ultimately good for society. Um, so I, I think it's just a fascinating direction that it's all going down. In particular, though, we're seeing this transition, like you pointed out, of CC0 work going into the real physical world with products and, and uh, starting to create offshoots. How do projects that have gone to CC0 really like monetize as a traditional business or are they not traditional businesses and we have to recontextualize them like how do we just think about them as an organization and as a financial entity it's a great question i mean we're sort of it's, it's early days and we've already seen lots of experiments with different models and i think we don't yet know which ones are, are going to be the you know the the winners or the most prominent um, you know, there are many, many different variations. Um, some CC0 NFT projects, um, like Loot, are basically, you know, a set of assets that were created. Um, and actually, I don't know the organizational structure, but but I know that, that Dom Hoffman, who created Loot, stepped back from the project. My impression is that, you know, the, you know, royalties and other revenues are sort of like governed by the, by the project somehow. 
Um, although, I'm, again, I'm not, I'm not totally certain how that's managed. Um, you know, others, you know, sort of are, are run through sort of, you know, structured as DAOs or community treasuries or something of the sort. Um, and, you know, there, you know, a lot of the, the value it comes from, from secondary and subsequent sales, or you know, sort of the value that accrues the original project comes from secondary sales and so forth, or possibly subsequent collections. And what they're trading off of is the, the ubiquity of, uh, you know, of the elements, right? That they've sort of become popular. They're part of the zeitgeist, um, in, you know, in large part because there are so many derivatives. Um, and that draws back sort of knowledge and attention to the original. Um, think like, you know, the nouns glasses being used in a Budweiser commercial. Now suddenly, you know, nouns is actually one of the best known NFT projects in the world simply by virtue of the fact that, you know, the, the outside public has like seen a glimpse in. Um, other projects uh, are really sort of trying to build the ecosystem themselves. So like um, I mentioned earlier, the Chain Runners, this is a community that, that I'm a part of, and, and they're really like building a whole world and ecosystem around their CC0 assets and inviting other people to sort of build in and sort of like really, you know, sort of work around the ecosystem. And like, you know, it, again, it's early days, but like if I were running a project like that, I would be thinking about monetizing not just over trade and the original assets, right? Like, you know, sure, maybe people are going to come and want to like buy and sell chain runners to have the original characters in, in the metaverse. Um, but also, you know, once you have a product ecosystem, there's all sorts of other stuff you can do, right? You know, you can have like, you know, a, a marketplace with people creating, you know, new assets and skins for characters and items and things. Sort of think like a Roblox marketplace, except all NFT enabled. Um, and so another strategy is to sort of think of this as a way of, you know, draw, like, like with many open source software projects, right, drawing a bunch of engagement that can then sort of turn into a product ecosystem. Um, and then, but, but Robbie, I should, I should be super interested to hear how you think about this from the, from the perspective of the artist. Cause like, I'm, I'm just thinking with a business school professor hat on and like, I, <laughs> you know, I, I tend to like focus on these like very software composability like models. So, I mean, with regard to kind of like expanding out out from the art, I mean, obviously you can do the the kind of inevitable. You can like for myself, it would probably be like a case of physical paintings, merchandise, and things like that. But the reason I actually wanted to go CCO is because it kind of by relinquishing all rights, sorry, relinquishing all IP rights, I'm actually protecting my ip so i'm i'm not a big artist i'm I, one day i might I'd, I'd like that to happen but for now i'm pretty unknown big it's pretty common for like big brands to come i've, I've seen it quite a lot with i mean i'm not sure i want to name drop but the likes of like urban outfitters zara all these kind of like fast fast fashion companies what they'll do is rather than uh, license and work from someone they'll just go we've got a graphic designer down in head office can you just make something similar to this and I was like there's no connection back to the original artist there even though it's basically a derivative of their work mm -hmm. so if I get rid of essentially make my intellectual property open if they want that rather than making a kind of sketchy version of it they can actually just use the original piece of work 
and therefore there's not someone going around with a t-shirt with a kind of commonplace-esque graphic on the back of it. They've actually got the right graphic on it. It's very similar to like what Virgil Abloh used to say about counterfeits of, of off-white. He would go to, to China where a lot of production was happening and just see massive amounts of counterfeiting. Um, and obviously this existed like in a pre-blockchain, CC0 wasn't super popular world, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. He also, a lot of people had invested a lot of money into the equity of this company, so you couldn't just do it. But his take was basically like, I'm good with all the counterfeits because I want people to have it. Um, I'd rather I'm able to produce it all myself, but I can't because of the constraints of my business. So whatever, like let the industry run. This take is almost like an even more radical version of that, um, where it's it's not even a counterfeit. Anybody could make a real version of your art yeah. on any product they want. Um, and it, it is you. It's not like you're being sidestepped. It's it's you're being included in the process through the legal structure that you've decided you want to act within. It's it's a really smart and interesting concept. So, I mean, I think Virgil Abloh's kind of got that... Um got that kind of attitude because the first one of the first projects Virgil worked on was a com a company that he made called Pyrex yeah. and obviously I mean there's Pyrex who make like the microwavable glass and stuff like that so he got served by a lawsuit pretty early on in that so he's probably f quite familiar with like the legal structure of things but yeah, not to go down a rabbit hole of stories of Virgil Abloh getting sued, but it did happen quite a bit, apparently. Uh, yeah. I think he also had a hat collection when he was like still in, in university where he just was like screen printing NFL logos on them uh, and the NFL sent him a cease and desist. So he stopped. Yeah, um, that wouldn't surprise me. And then me. he asked the NBA if he could do it and they were like, yeah, sure. So yet again, story of collaboration at times can be a good thing um, instead of trying to like lock down IP. But yeah um and again it, it, it varies a lot from product yeah, to product absolutely. and project to project right like there there is no one size fits all solution here um but you know but we're seeing a lot of experimentation around cc0 in ways that are powerful um so kind of the the final question i wanted to leave it on to tie back into crypto here is it feels like we're seeing two trends happen at the same time that are kind of intermingled one is is the explosion of crypto um, and, and blockchain technology. And then it also feels like there's a real awakening towards IP rights and in particular CC0 and the power that that could have within the crypto community, but also more broadly. Um, in my opinion, those two are both kind of on the rise because it feels like blockchain technology kind of empowers that CC0 business model by having some sort of accountability mechanism through tokens and through the chain while relinquishing the actual legal rights and, and kind of pushing aside that structure, which a lot of people could argue is, is useful or antiquated or any other number of terms. Is that somewhat right? Is that how you guys see it? Or why are, why are these two trends happening at the same time and why are they happening now? So, I, I mean, personally, I think with respect to like CCO fine art is one of the things that if either if something's CCO or public domain and the physical artwork is quite hard to kind of keep a track of of ownership because anyone can use it. Anyone can print it off the Internet. 
for example, whereas with these CC0 artworks we've now got, there is now an there's now a transaction on the blockchain that proves ownership. So you know who owns it, but anyone can still use it. Because this is this sorry to go on a bit, but this is something that I've been kind of thinking about quite a lot is a lot of I think a lot of people are under the impression that if you own a piece of art you can come you can essentially you can commercially monetize it, which it isn't the case. But the artist that holds the IP, if you've got a painting from someone, the art the artist that holds IP can still license that. So I don't think that CCO is necessarily a bad thing when you look at it like that, because I think a lot of people are like, well, if anyone can use it, what's the point of owning it? But anyone can use something if it's under standard IP. It's just got to be licensed by the artist. No, exactly. And, and I think this point you made about the blockchain and ownership actually like enabling this type of, uh, you know, sort of experimentation around CC0 is really, really true, right? Like, um, you know, a question I get all the time is like, wait, I don't understand. Like if NFTs are all about creating new forms of ownership, like why are all of these creators giving up, you know, sort of rights to, you know, to, you know, licensing rights. It's sort of yeah. odd. It's like, you know, we've got this like, new super you know modern robust model of ownership and the first thing we're doing is giving rights away and it's like well but actually you know that makes perfect sense right the better we get at identifying owners the less we have to worry about whether like somebody who has the thing on the t-shirt is or is not the owner right you know they're not because the blockchain transaction tells you the owner of the this is the original asset and this person owns it and so you actually like have more freedom, right? You don't have to lock something down by like stopping other people from looking at it. If you know everyone in the world can see who the the owner is, it's almost as if um, you know a, a metaphor I often use for for NFTs um, or for explaining sort of like NFTs is you know let's imagine that like you know back in the day you could have owned the original Mickey Mouse. And then all of like, you know, sort of Disney sort of built up on this, you know, intellectual property uh, as before, except you yourself, like, you know, own the original Mickey Mouse. That would be an incredibly valuable asset, right? Think how much money people are willing to pay just for like, you know, individual cells from original Disney films. Um, sort of the same. It's like if you've, um, you know, if you own the original of, you know, sort of Project X, and Project X suddenly becomes like a phenomenon and sort of like, you know, becomes a grounding for a new art movement or for a new product category or ecosystem or something. You actually do internalize a lot of that value. And precisely because we now do have a clear way to identify the owners of lots of these works, um, you know, now it's possible to do more intellectual property experimentation on top of it because, you know, the underlying sort of owner is, is well known. The other thing, of course, that, that you know, we, we haven't talked about, but I, I actually learned this, you know, Robbie from you is, you know, about royalties, right? The other thing is that NFTs have created a new, very robust way for creators to earn that isn't about locking down and, and sort of fighting for control of, of, of licensing of, of their IP, but rather from, you know, internalizing, you know, sort of a share of the benefits as the value, the property grows in value and people trade it. 
And so it's it's also like NFTs have created this new way for creators to be rewarded. Sorry for using create in two ways in the same sentence to mean different things. You know, it's enabled a new way for creators to be rewarded um, so that licensing doesn't have to be like sort of a, like a principal source of revenue for creators. The other thing with that is royalties are every time sorry every time the the work is sold it just it's automatic there's no chasing up exactly it's not work right it's like or it's not additional yeah. work you don't have to like you know enforce it well if you want to go a step further if, if someone's using your ip and you find out about it like a big a big company's like i said it's taking advantage of a, a a smaller artist that would mean a lawyer to deal with that and it's not cheap to hire a lawyer no, of course. Intellectual property lawsuits are super expensive. Yeah, so basically, if, if, if in a situation like that, the big corporation is going to win because the, the smaller entities always going to either bankrupt themselves by trying to pay the legal fees or just give in, which is what happens most of the time because in situa situations like that, kind of getting the public to rally together it doesn't really... It just kind of gets ignored. I feel like we could talk about this subject for hours. And on the royalty side, I know that that is also becoming a massive discussion, not just on what are they and, and how do they work, but also like the technical level of how do we implement them and get people to respect them. Um, so that I feel like will be an entire another conversation that we'll have to have at some point. But I'm looking forward to having it. Um, my key takeaway from this personally is that CC0 is a really, really powerful tool, or at least it feels like that, that is kind of being empowered by blockchain technology um, and being experimented with because we now have another system of tracking ownership that we can kind of layer on top of existing IP um, and, and property rights. Did any of you have other kind of takeaways that you wanted to, to leave off before we kind of wrap this up or... No, I mean, maybe just let me end on the experimentation point again, right? I mean, it's it's early days, and I think we're going to see a lot of new experimentation around intellectual property and, and rights models, including ones that we haven't seen yet, right? Like, it, it, you know, CC0, like, sort of is, you know, is by now a standardized framework, but I think we're going to see, like, new, you know, just like the, the, the Board Ape Yacht Club model was sort of, like, new and very NFT-specific, I think we're going to see, like, new evolutions and recombinations of the IP models, just like we see with NFT projects. Yeah, I, I definitely see that happening as well. Um, honestly, I'm a little surprised that things like the Board Apes IP uh, system haven't like been picked up as fast as they have um, by, by other companies and, and kind of brought to different areas. But yeah, I think there will be massive evolution in that. Robbie, closing thoughts, final ideas? Oh, that's a kind of hard one. I think Scott kind of... Scott put it in, into a nutshell there. There's there's not a whole lot more for for me to add to such a wise man like Scott. <laughs> Nonsense. Are you kidding? Come on. I, I'm constantly learning from you, um, right? Like, you know, a huge part of my understanding and thinking about CC0 is shaped by, by your sort of thoughts and, and expressions around your, your project. Thank you so much for agreeing to spend some time with us this morning and, and talk to us about your ideas. And um, 
I know I'm excited. I'm pretty sure Scott is excited for a commonplace and, and everything that we're going to see with that. So good luck with it. And we are most certainly cheering from the other side of the ocean. <laughs> Thank you. I hope that conversation was valuable to you. If you'd like to connect with Robbie, you can find him on Twitter at tshirtbob followed by an underscore. And if you'd like to connect with Scott, you can also find them on Twitter at scommoners. I'm also on Twitter at itslukawm if you want to follow me. I'd like to extend a huge thank you to Robbie for joining us today. Your insight into not only CC0 but the creative project in general is always incredibly interesting and I always learn a ton. If you have an idea for a topic you'd like to see covered on the show, reach out on Twitter or on Discord. We'd love to hear your perspective. As always, stay thingy, do good things, and I'll see you next week.